I remember the first time I ever uh, drove through Austin, Texas. You remember the first time, those of you who didn't grow up here, you, ever, you remember the first time you came to Austin? It was 14 years ago for me. I was taking a youth uh, trip uh, with youth from Tulsa, Oklahoma to SeaWorld. And we were driving through Austin. We were on our way to Austin. I remember being pretty excited about, you know, keeping Austin weird and all that stuff and figuring out what that meant. And I'd heard about Austin and we were, we were beginning to drive. And my first impression on I-35 coming into Austin was, anybody guess it? Traffic. So I hit traffic on I-35 and I'm thinking, okay, well, the good news is I'm, I'm in Austin. This is going to be cool. Let me see what this is about. And I saw the sign that said Austin, 35 miles, Right. So I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so I'm driving into Austin, and I'm like, okay, here we, we really are. You know, Round Rock, Pflugerville, all of this, this whole area. I mean, you just, you just hear about its vibe. And I remember coming to that, um, that decision I wasn't ready for. Right off the bat, I wasn't ready for where I-35 splits, north of downtown. Thinking, what would, what would Jesus do here? <laughs> and I just didn't know because I wasn't exiting. Um, it gave instructions. If you're exiting here, go here. If you're, I'm like, what, if you don't know where you exit, you just, I don't know. So I took the high road (laughs) and I remember driving by, uh, the Longhorns were practicing on the field. Okay. Not many Longhorn fans. Okay. And Hey, I grew up in Colorado. So that was just kind of interesting for me. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. You know, there they are for real. We just had anyway. So drive by, saw them, saw the Capitol. I drove by Lake Austin over Lake Austin. I'm heading through. And I remember thinking, why is Austin the capital of Texas? In fact, when I was in elementary school growing up in Colorado, it was one of the hard ones for me to memorize because I always thought it was Dallas. True story. And I remember thinking, exactly, thank goodness, right? So I, I remember thinking, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, all bigger than Austin. What makes Austin area, this, this 30, 40-mile stretch of dirt from Round Rock to San Marcos and all this thing, what makes this uh, so special? Then 10 years ago, I moved here with my family. We first moved to South Austin, right here on Manchac. We moved out west for a few years, and then we moved back to Buda. Love it here. I just, I, I just love this. I, I found very quickly that there's something for everyone, right? You have Dell and Round Rock and Cabela's and Buda. What else do you need? I mean, there's really something, every demographic, something for everybody. Everywhere, everyone is covered. If you want hill country, you got it out west. If you want piney woods, you got it out east. You've got lakes. You've got rivers. You've got rivers that are called lakes. You've got it all. Something, and it's a really cool thing. But what a lot of people don't know who live in this general area is that Austin is a very influential city. The influence goes far beyond just even Texas. It has what they call the big four culturally. The big four of government, education. There's over, between Texas State and Texas alone, there's over 100,000 students just in the area. So you have government, you have education, you have high tech, obviously, and you have the arts, music, film, and whatnot. Those four things, they say culturally, are massively influential. And it goes far beyond our own boundaries, okay? It's a really big thing. But the other thing also is its central location. It's, I mean, it's like all roads lead to Austin. Houston to Austin. You know, San Antonio to Austin. Dallas to Austin. There's just this central hub meeting place. You ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? You ever heard that? It's a real phrase that's been around for a while. The reason for that, let me back up. Today we're starting a study on the book of Romans. 
And really what the book of Romans is, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul written to new believers in Rome. All roads lead to Rome. This was a city in which, um, because of their influence and their power, as the Roman Empire grew through cities, they would build roads from each city back to Rome. But they did not build uh, roads between two neighboring cities. So even if two cities were close to each other, or two towns were close to each other, it would be more efficient, both if you had some kind of a trade or work or whatever, to come back to Rome and then to go back out to the city than to try and just cross uh, straight over. All roads literally led to Rome. And this was a pattern throughout Europe. Several communities, several cities kind of modeled this thing. But it wasn't just their central location that was so significant in this early church, in this early time that the book of Romans was written. But even more so, it was their cultural influence. It was their military um, prowess. It was this thing that, was, that Paul realized Rome, the future of Rome, and the, would be significant in the future of the church. And so he wrote this letter to these brand new Christians... He had never been there. He wrote this letter to all these brand new Christians and said, this is so important. I want you to understand what you believe and why. Because we have to build this firm foundation for it to make sense to you. Because if it just is on this kind of high and excitement of this new way, it's going to burn out. You're not going to understand the significance of it. And if you don't understand the bigger picture of what I'm doing, what God is doing, then you're going to think it's just about you or that it's just about Rome. And you're not going to understand that this is so much bigger than any of us. So today, we have the benefit of that. We have the opportunity to read a letter that was written specifically to a people of an influential area. So that we can understand what our faith is really about. I mean, there's some deep waters in Romans. Really, why do we believe this? Why do we do this? What does this mean? So that we can not only see strength in our own relationship with Christ and our family... But that so that we can be a people who live our faith where we live. That we impact our neighborhoods. That we impact our communities. That we have a positive impact. This, this ministry of reconciliation, Scripture calls it. And this opportunity to, to renew people in communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, our cities, our state, and, and beyond. So that's what we hope to do. To gain a better understanding... Of what it is that we even believe through this study. So turn to Romans chapter 1. Today is going to be kind of an introduction of sorts. And the reason for that is because Paul spends the first part of Romans as an introduction. As he does many of his letters. He, but he goes a little further. There's some kind of strange affection he holds for Rome. And, and you'll see it through this writing. So let's just start in verse 1. He kind of gives an introduction. We're going to read through verse 7. We're going to skip then ahead to verse 16 through 17 where he really gives the theme of the letter. And then we're going to go back to 7 through uh, 15 or 8 through 15 to kind of give a, a few points today. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. To be an apostle simply means that you are sent with a message. Then he goes on to say what that message is. It's the gospel of Christ. Well, what is the gospel? A lot of us, we don't even really know what the gospel is. Well, the gospel just means good news. 
And there's many ways to interpret it. It's used in many ways. Sometimes it's proclaiming good news. Sometimes it's just that the reality that good news exists. Well, what good news? The good news that through Christ, we are now reconciled back to God. Okay, because we've tried on our own and we can't do it. But the good news is, is that God, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So he's saying, this is my message. I've been set apart. This is my life. The gospel is my life to share this. And he says, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, reminding them that this is exactly what Isaiah and the prophets talked about regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, which Jesus was. Verse 4, and who through the spirit of holiness, we're beginning to talk, look at the nature of God, was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection for the dead, from the dead. Not just that he was crucified, not just that he claimed who he was, but that he rose from the dead. I don't know if you know this, that's significant. Not many people do that. Verse 5, through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship. He's, he's helping us understand our calling. To call people from among all the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to the obedience that comes from faith. This way of life that comes from faith. And you also, he's telling them, you also are among those who are being called to belong to Jesus Christ. So to all in Rome who are loved by God, who are called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, jump down. He gives the theme. Here's what he's saying. And remember, Paul was at one point one of the most legalistic Pharisees who literally went out to kill Christians. Had permission to go on trips, put Christians in prison because it threatened their religion. They weren't just atheists or didn't believe in what they believed in and were crazy about it. I mean, they thought that they were defending their faith. And then here, this guy says this. He says, I, even who I am, you know who I am. He had a pretty big reputation. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as written, and here's a phrase, the righteous will live by faith. That word righteous really means innocent. If you think about our righteousness, everyone's righteous, raise your hand, right? You're not going to do it. We don't want to, we're uncomfortable with that. We need to understand there's two elements of righteousness. One is this uh, qualitative righteousness that God gives us where we are declared, we are qualified as righteous because of Christ. It has nothing to do with you and me outside of just going Okay, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to receive this gospel, okay? And then there's a quantitative, this thing that happens in our life because of that and the power of God that works in our lives. But what he's trying to say is that there is a new life that we live, that things cannot stay the same. Well, I like some of my life. Well, I bet you do. I bet we do. There's a lot of, but maybe you'll just like it even better. But what it's saying is that there is a life change that happens there and it says that the innocent the righteous will live by faith and he's claiming that this way of life is reflecting god's righteousness it's motivated by god's righteousness and it is revealed by god's righteousness he's claiming this way of life several weeks ago we uh did a study in the book of james for several weeks and and we looked at the scripture we referenced the scripture saying 
uh, John had written that, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. And, and we talked about how many of us really struggle, do we, we, not knowing. And until we kind of get over that hump, how much that hurts our growth. But he writes these things that we might know that we have eternal life. It's almost as if Paul is saying, Church of Rome, you've got some really great things happening. Some really thing, good things going on. I need you to know that the righteous will live by faith. Four times in the Bible that's said. One in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament, including this time. This theme over and over, the righteous will live by faith. We know what it means to be a Christian. And later, Paul is going to really dig into the theology of that. But it's as if he's saying, in community, together as a church, how do we know that we're living by faith? How do you know? What are the indicators of these things? What are the things we could point to and go, okay, this is a fruit of living in faith. This is a fruit of living in community collectively together as believers that we should see and that we should have. Well, the good news is, is in verse 8 through 15, he really gives us four things that are kind of mega themes he'll deal with throughout the scriptures that I want to give you today that serve kind of as a foundation for where we're going to go in the rest of our study. Really answering the question, how do we have confidence that we're living by faith together? We can have confidence in, th- in at least four different ways through this scripture. So let's look at this scripture. First, let's look in verse 8. And Paul says this. He says, first of all, he says, I want you to know, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He's acknowledging that there's something that they have that he's so thankful for. And he says, this is what it is. He says, because your faith is being reported all over the world. When I read this scripture this week, I was, I, was, I was challenged by it in kind of a new way. Because we've always been a church that we've thought, okay, um, if you were to go ask a bunch of people who were not in church, didn't grow up in church, didn't, what they thought of the church, study after study shows that they would say, don't like it because they're judgmental and they're hypocritical. Critical. And I just go, okay. Why are we not good news to them? Why do people who are skeptics of faith look at that and say they're not good news when Paul says we should be good news? And I go back and I say, well, because, um, you know, the scripture says that if, if we live our faith, that we'll be persecuted. And so uh, we, we live our life and we, and we do the church the way we do church and all these things and we, we isolate ourselves and we just stand on principle and you don't like me because you're persecuting me and that's just going to happen. But the reality is, is in, the, in the early church, the, the early church was persecuted by the religious, not those who were skeptical of faith. And in fact, in the early church, those who were looking for hope looked at this group of people and said, maybe they've got it. Maybe they've got it. And the problem is, is we like to look at each other and say, oh, well, what do you think of me? Oh, you like me? Cool. Let's hang out, you know? And, and sometimes we listen to the wrong people and then we start believing it. Uh, last night, my sister was talking to my daughter and she, she was asking her about school. And she said, hey, how are you like at school? What's going on? She goes, are there any, my, my daughter's in fifth grade. She said, are there any cute boys in your class? And Sydney was like, no, there's no cute boys. And she goes, do you think there are any cute boys? And she goes, yeah. She goes, who? And he goes, my daddy. Right away, you could tell she has the wisdom of her mother. <laughs> but here's the deal. I hope that, you know, our, our daughters think we're awesome. 
But you know, we start listening to the wrong people all the time, thinking we're all, we're going to start believing we really are. And, and what this scripture is saying is, it's saying this indicator. We can have confidence, first of all, that we're living by faith when we become good news to strangers. And I think that's a very important part of what Rome had and, and, and what Paul was encouraging them to embrace. That we're just not concerned about what maybe another church thinks of our church or another believer thinks of our believer. Or we're, but we're really concerned about that person who is skeptical of church. And they look at you and they say, hey, by that guy's life, you know what? I could do that. I, I want to be around that guy. I don't feel judged by that person. They have hope. Their lives are reflecting something that I need. That's good news to me. So I think we need to pour in to think about that. We can have confidence we're living by faith when we become good news to strangers. The next one, look at verse 11 and 12. It goes on. It says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Paul is saying this. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, this phrase here, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you uh, to make you strong. It really means that I may strengthen you. That phrase is used not just to strengthen, like make you strong, but, but to firm up your stance. It means literally to turn resolutely so that you know. I have confidence in knowing, he's saying, that this gift I want to give to you, and it's not the spiritual gifts that we talk about. This is a gift that is spiritual. That when I come, I can't wait. I want to help you in your faith to make you even more confident that what you hope for and believe in is worth it and awesome. And to keep pressing on. He says, this is what I want to do to you. This is what I impart for you. This is what I want to give to you. And he says, and here's how we're going to do it. This is how it happens. It happens when you and I are in a relationship together where we are mutually encouraging each other. So that's the next thought. We can know when we are mutually encouraging each other. Not just we can know and I can be there and I can encourage you and you could grow and say, ooh, Paul's a really good speaker and communicator and that the church in Rome is really awesome. I'll go back to my normal life now. He says, no, something special happens when there is just this personality in the body of Christ of mutual encouragement, mutual edification, encouraging uh, one another. We have a problem in the church called consumerism. And it's a problem of our, our, our culture, right? We're consumers. You remember the commercial not long ago? America is a nation of consumers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It literally said that. You know, it, it was a commercial for a credit card. No doubt, right? This is about us. What God is doing in this encouragement how we might strengthen one another. Not having a posture of being critical, first thing. Not having a posture of prove it to me, first thing. Not being skeptical, not being petty, not being difficult. But this spirit, when we're walking and we're living by faith, we will have a community of faith that is mutually encouraging to one another. That we don't wear each other out, but instead we are encouraged and strengthened together. He goes on. Verse 13. This is one of the most interesting parts of the scripture, I think. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. He's specifically saying, hey, I need you to know something. I plan many times to come to you. He's like, I wanted to be there, guys. Paul had never been to Rome. He just heard about him. And he heard about him and he wanted to be there really bad. So bad he wrote a big, deep letter to him. 
And he says, but the spirit, he says, but I have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. And I think, why would the spirit prevent him from going? And it's just, it's so obvious that something is going on there. And that maybe God is doing something in Paul's life as well. And I think it's just a reminder that when we are good news and something awesome is happening, people will be drawn to us. They will want to be a part of it. I think even Paul, I think Paul was struggling with so many issues all over in all these churches he had planted. He's like, there's just this one. I'd love to go be a part of that. Okay? But the one significant thing about this place is that Paul had not been there. None of the disciples or the apostles had been there to plant this church in Rome. It's believed that on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching and everyone got saved, that there were some people from Rome who heard the message and got saved that day and went back to Rome and just shared it. And this viral organic thing just started happening in Rome. They didn't have, there was just something very special and very unique. And what happened was the Holy Spirit empowered individuals to go and do it. It empowered the people to be, to be the church and to not wait on someone else to create the right program for them to do it. And I would just study my Bible more if there was a better, you know, Bible study I could attend. Or, or the Spirit empowered them and something awesome happened from the fruit of that. And they got it. And this church was moving. I wonder if the Spirit kept him from going so he didn't mess it up. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I even think the last point, so the, I think the point before gives us some insight to that as well, because I think, I think Paul saw the encouragement, this mutual encouragement in this culture and this thing going on that maybe he even, maybe he even realized he wanted some of that. He would gain uh, from that. But what happened there is that the church became the church. Third thought, we can have confidence we're living, living in faith and we are committed to the mission. Of Christ. His mission. Not our mission. Here's the deal. I'm convinced throughout scripture the theme is this. If we will be concerned together about what God wants to do. He will take care of us. That's the way. That's the way it is. We can know. Okay. And the last one. It's actually Romans 1, 14 and 15. Not 4 through 5. He says this. 14 and 15. He says, I'm obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Roman, to, who are in Rome. This is an interesting thought, too, that he's doing. I'm wondering if he's throwing them a bone somehow. He says, I'm obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. He's like, well, which one are you calling? So you're saying they're, the Greeks are the wise and everyone else is the foolish? Or are you saying some's wise and some's foolish, whatever it is? It's interesting. I, I'm wondering if he's, you know, sucking up a little bit to them here. But then he goes on, he says, this is why I want to come to you. Because he's not saying, you know everything. What he's saying is, listen, even in your wisdom, you've got so much to learn. I think it's a real problem when we don't know what we don't know. It can really cause an issue in our own faith. Because then we get, we, we get puffed up and we get a little arrogant and we think we know it all. And then we become unteachable. Uncoachable. I'm coaching seven and eight year old a peewee football right now, full contact. It is weird. It's just the weirdest thing you'll ever do in your life to try. It's just they're just like little weeble wobbles running around with big heads. But we've uh, we've got. I came over and I, I helped with the defense and, and 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 I came over and to the guys. I'm like, who wants to hit somebody? And this little guy, I call him Crazy Jay. This little guy 
Smallest kid on our team. He looks at me, he goes, I will coach. And I'm like, anybody else? You know, and, and he goes, no, coach, coach. And I, I said, okay, come here. And I put him in a defensive end. And his only job, and I said, Jake, here's what I need you to do, man. I just need you to just, just bust in there and just whatever it is, just blow it up. Everything you've got with all your energy, everything you have. And I just need you to do that. And I looked at him, I said, you got it. And he looked at me and he took his mouthpiece out and he goes, too easy, coach, too easy. <laughs> you know, that's cute. But Crazy Jay didn't have any idea what he was about to get into. You know, sometimes, sometimes we take our spiritual growth and, and the plan for the church and all this stuff, and we think we understand what it exists and what it's about. And sometimes we just really don't. And Rome was a really academic, heady place. They had a culture of philosophy. It was a really smart place. And that's why Paul wrote the way he did. He spoke their language. It's very deep. We're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting to go through this, this scripture together. But he spoke their language and helped him understand, you guys, we have to take a humble posture with God's word and with what he's doing in the church. We have to pretend as if God knows more than we do. (laughs) And then maybe his plan is greater than our plan. And we have to trust that. And so this last thought on there, we can know, we can have confidence when we live not just in humility, but we are living in spiritual humility. Because we don't know what we don't know. What don't you know? Why do you believe what you believe? Could you share that? Can you explain that to a way that it would be good news to someone else? Where's your Rome? Who is your Rome? What is your message as a part of the body of Christ? I'm excited about this study. So we have a lot to learn together. Because I know we can be good news to a world that is broken to a world that is hurting, and to a world that is in need of hope. All right? Let's pray.